All right, we are continuing in our study of the book of Romans today, but um, rather than actually looking at our text in Romans today, we're going to look at a supplementary text in Ephesians 2. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and today's text is one that we should all be familiar with, uh, especially those of you who've been around here for any length of time. But we're considering this passage today in light of Romans 9, which is where we left off two weeks ago. We will get back into the text of Romans 9 next week, but I think this is going to set the stage for this next section of Romans 9 and is also going to remind us of some some things that are true about us, some things that are true about our church and what we are called to do. So in Romans 9, Paul begins to answer a question about Jews and um, about why some Jews have followed Christ and some have not. Um, The Jews from virtually the beginning of the Old Testament have been called what? They've been called the chosen people of God. God clearly says to guys like Moses, who we read about earlier, you are going to be my people, I'm going to be your God. That has been true throughout the course of Scripture up until the point that Paul writes the Roman letter Jesus, the Messiah, long prophesied to be the Jewish Messiah, to come through the line of David, um, to be like this new great king, this new Adam. Finally, according to Paul, this has all occurred. Jesus is this long foretold Messiah, and yet many Jews don't believe it. Many Jews don't believe that it's him. And so what do we do with this information? That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Paul's basic answer that we saw was this, just because you're a Jew, just because you're a Jew does not mean that you will be called a child of God. And and that's to some extent true for all of us. He talked about children of the flesh and children of the promise, but ultimately the point was this, one's ethnic heritage, who, who, uh, who your parents are, does not guarantee salvation outside of faith in Christ, right? doesn't guarantee salvation outside of faith in Christ. Outside of Jesus, outside of Christ, there are none who will be saved. Paul also speaks to God's sovereignty or his absolute authority, his power, as a way of explaining the way things are. Paul says, we know that God is not unjust, even though, as we said, God is often unfair, by our standards. The the sheer fact that he sent his son Jesus to die for us who are undeserving of that kind of grace, who are deserving only of death. The fact that he sent his son Jesus is an incredibly unfair act. We have not gotten what we deserve. We've gotten precisely what we do not deserve. And yet justice has been served because Jesus died and paid the penalty that was due to all of us. So justice has been served. God's justice is um, unimpeachable, even though God does not play by our human rules of fairness. We know that God is not unjust in anything that he does, but we also know that he does whatever he wants, whatever suits his will and his good pleasure. We can't always explain it, I think primarily because we don't see with God's vision. We don't see with God's scope. We don't know the future. We don't even know the past all that well. And yet God sees all of this across great spans of time, really across eternity, past and future. Romans 9.18 says this, He has mercy on whomever he wills 
and he hardens whomever he wills, which is Paul's way of explaining the unexplainable. All we can really say is God is all-powerful, and God's will will be done. In fact, he calls us to pray that, doesn't he, in the Lord's Prayer? Father, that your will would be done here on earth in the same way that your will is done in heaven. So today I want us to look at what in many ways is a supplementary text to Romans 9. It was written after Romans was written. Um, In Romans 9, Paul is speaking really specifically to the issue of Jewish salvation. But in Ephesians 2, he's speaking a little bit more to Gentiles. But this sets the stage for a question that we will move into next week which has to do with us choosing God. What does it mean for me to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, right? What role do I play in that, and what role does God play? So here's what he says, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. So Ephesians, as I said, was written after Romans, probably five to eight years after Romans was written. But notice how here in basically one paragraph, it's almost like Paul has summed up a great deal of what we have read in the first nine chapters of Romans. So he's writing in a much more concise, a much more expedient way. If you read any of his other letters, most of them are far shorter than Romans is. Um, He talks about how prior to Christ, we were all just walking around in death. We've seen this in Romans, walking in death, oblivious perhaps to our sin, hopeless, following the flesh, following the enemy, carrying out the desires, not of God, but the desires of our own mind, the desires of our own body. And notice in verse 3, he says that because we were in that state, we were by nature, by nature, children of wrath. Devin, can you go back to that text real quick, back to verse 3? He says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's what I talked about just a moment ago, that like we were all deserving of God's wrath and and that that is by nature, that, that that's naturally what has occurred in our life. We have all been born into sin. We've been born into this fallen state where we fall far short of God's glory, right? And, and as a result, we are What Paul calls children of wrath, we are deserving of nothing other than God's anger. 
and that justice would be served through our deaths. But then, Paul says, something changed. Like, this is who we were, but then something changed. Well, what changed? Was it you that changed? Was it me that changed? Was it the Gentile Christian readers who were reading this originally? Did something happen outside of your nature? Did you do something unnatural? No, Paul says, God did something. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were in the middle of our sin, even when we were in the middle of being children of wrath, he made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Did you notice how he repeats that phrase multiple times, and even just this little short passage. By grace, you have been saved. How have you been saved? Well, I just, I, I, I looked at all the options that were out there. I explored Buddhism and the Hindu religion and Christianity and just secularism. I, I explored all these things. I decided that Christianity was the right step for me. No, no, no. That, Paul says that's not what has happened here. By God's grace, you have been saved. If you have been saved... Not just if you started going to church, not if you became a more moral person, but if you've been saved from death and hell, the only way that can happen is through God's grace, Paul says. And he, and he means it so intently, he repeats it over and over again. But not only that, this is what we've said in Romans, it's not just that you've been saved from death and hell. Verse 6, not only that, he has raised us up with Christ. He has raised us up with him, and he's seated us in the heavenly places. To use the language of Romans, we have become children of God. We have become co-heirs with Christ. He has seated us in a place we do not belong, the heavenly places. And he says he's done this so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, which I think is Paul's way of saying, you might think you get this, but you don't get this. Like you might go, yes, I understand the Lord has been very kind to us. No, no, no. You like we can't even fathom the full implications of this. Like there will come a day in the coming ages where you will really see what he has done for you in Christ Jesus. And then you will be so blown away that the ultimate result will just be eternal worship of God on your part. Like we, we get it intellectually right now. Or, or if, I, if I say, here's what's happened, you go, I can follow that trajectory. But Paul says, no, no, no. There is coming a day in these coming ages when the immeasurable immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus will be like seen and understood fully and like manifested fully as we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So I think that's some of why in Romans, Paul is so intent that, man, it doesn't matter what we have to suffer right now. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. It doesn't matter what brokenness we experience in our lives because of what Christ has done. And his whole point in Romans up to now has been, and that's like sealed and secured. That was all of that predestination, preordination language that he was using. It's not just that he's chosen who will be saved. He's, he's saying whoever is saved, man, it is sealed and secured. Like you will be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You will be co-heirs. You will be children of God. And you can't even fathom the full implications of that. 
like just how incredible that is. So you're bebopping along through life, doing what you want. You're controlled by your passions. You're controlled by your emotions, your desires. And then God does something. I mean, how many of us, that's our story. You may have grown up in church, but, but really the reality was I was just doing what I wanted to do. And, and then for some reason that I can't even fully explain, God steps in and my trajectory has changed where even though I still wrestle with sin, even though I still wrestle with my emotions and my desires, something has changed. And, and it's, I, I can't even fully explain it, and it's because God has done something. And what God, what God does is he shows up and he extends grace to us. Grace where grace does not belong. Unmerited favor where unmerited favor does not belong. Look at verse 8. This is key. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift. It is the gift. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So grace, unmerited favor, is the catalyst for or agent of our salvation, according to Paul. It is by grace that you have been saved. But faith in Christ also plays a critical role here. By grace you have been saved through faith. But we know this. You are not saved. I am not saved by my ability to have faith. And I'm not saved by like the purity of my faith. Right? Because faith is something we all wrestle with, isn't it? You are saved by God's grace And I believe that God's grace, listen, I believe God's grace empowers us to have faith. Outside of God's grace, our ability to even have faith is next to none. Our our ability to have the kind of faith that could in any way be a part of our salvation is non-existent if we are on our own. But if God has stepped in and extended grace to us, then God, through his grace, is also empowering us to have faith. So we're not saved by our ability to have faith, and we're not saved by the merits of the purity of our faith. We are saved by God and his grace. But anybody who is saved has faith. Because that's how this works, as he extends his grace to us. Is, that, is this making sense? Is this... Hopefully this isn't like brand new information for all of us. But then notice what he says, verse 8, or verse 9 rather. This is not a result of works. This is not your own doing, he says. This is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. Again, critical point. The work of salvation is God's work. He alone is capable of saving Let me say this, I don't think this means, though, that you have no role in this whatsoever, right? Some people people do think that, that, man, you you have no part in this. This is all God, and and what we're going to get into here in the next week or so is going to be the role that you play in this process as well, Because Paul's going to address that next week in Romans 9. If God is the one who saves, if he is the one who extends grace to whomever he wills, 
then do I have any choice in this? Am I just locked in? And Paul will say, can I resist his grace? Can I say no to his grace? And so we're going to consider that question in light of what we have just read. Let me get to the last verse here. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Next week, we're going to see in Romans 9 that God is the potter, to use Paul's language. God is the potter, and the potter does what he wants with what he makes. We've talked in recent weeks about God's preordaining work, and we talked about that in light of eternity, that God has preordained that for those who have received his grace, that we will be co-heirs, that we will be children of God. But his preordaining work also extends to your life now. It's, it's not just about the sweet by and by. It's not just about later on down the road. It, it also means right now, God has purposes for your life. More than likely, you've heard, if you've grown up in church, you've heard in your whole life that God has a plan for you. And there is a very broad sense in which we can understand that, but there is also a very specific way in which we can understand that as well. If God is the potter, if he is the one who is shaping and molding, you have been formed by the potter. You have been formed by the creator of all things. You've been gifted by him. You've been impassioned by the potter. And, and I believe one of the big roles that you play in this relationship is in you seeking to move past the pull of sin, the pull of temptation, to seek to put those things to death in your life so that you might be obedient to the way of Christ. So that you might be the man or woman that God has called you to be. What the Great Commission says is that we would go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, I want you to baptize them, but, but what's second? I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So even to his disciples, shaped by the potter, formed by the potter, saved by Jesus, they are then sent out with purpose. Right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, I've done all of this, so later on... When you die, you get to experience the immeasurable riches of my kindness. No, he says, I have purpose for you now. What Paul is getting at here at the end of Ephesians 2 is we are his workmanship. We've been shaped by him. We've been created now in Christ. You could say we've been recreated in Christ. Because of what Jesus has been done, we've been born anew. We've been born again. And in this new born-again state, we've been given purpose purpose that extends outside of our flesh and, 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 our, and what our mind wants and whatever our passions are, F uh, like purpose that extends into his will and, and like the region of his kingdom and his kingdom purposes. And God has prepared these things for you. This is what blows my mind. It's, it's not just that he has predestined that certain things would happen eternally, but even now, God has made you the way that he made you with purpose. God has gifted you the way that he's gifted you with purpose. Those things are not happenstance. Those things are not just, um, oh, this is kind of like, this is a nice thing. No, God has like specific things for you in your life. And when we pray, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like we are a part of that, that in earth or on earth part. Like, in my life, God, let your will be done. 
Use me. Guide me. And, and this is why he's given us the Holy Spirit. This is why he sent a helper to us. Because it's the Spirit that in, in the moment-to-moment nature of our lives, that the Spirit is the one who is whispering the leading of the Father into our hearts. And if we're on our own trajectory, it's going to be really hard to listen to that and respond to that and follow that and be obedient to that. And so a big part of this role, of the, the role that we play in this relationship is largely about, man, letting go of myself, dying to myself, taking up my cross. And what that means is listening to the voice of the Spirit rather than to the voice of my flesh, rather than, than to my own desires. We are his workmanship, made by the potter, created in Christ, born again for good works. Not so that we can be saved, not so that our good works will somehow merit our salvation. No, 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 more as a result of our salvation. Now for the first time ever, we're actually capable of doing some things that God wants us to do. Doing some things that could be honoring towards him. What did we pray earlier today? God, without you, it is impossible to please you. We cannot please him on our own. We need him to please him. So in your life, in your work, in your family, I think everything is ultimately measured against the standard of love of God and love of neighbor. When Jesus tells his disciples, go and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, what Jesus says is that that's all summed up in the great commandment, that we would love God and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. But notice also, this verse points to the fact that God has specific work for you. It's, it's not just this broad, I'm going to seek to love God by loving my neighbor really well, but, it, but also God has predetermined things he has for you. And we always know what that is in a broad sense, giving glory and honor to God, seeking to worship him, seeking to love our neighbor, but we discover as we move forward in obedience the specific ways that he has empowered us, gifted us, called us to do his work. So, so for us, here, here at Covenant Shreveport, from the very beginning, I think Justin and I felt like that we couldn't, we couldn't be a church that just said, hey, we're all about discipleship, and so what that means is we have a lot of Bible studies that we offer. But, but even like a next level of that, that, that real discipleship isn't just about being super religious. Real discipleship isn't just about going to church a lot. Real discipleship isn't even about like just intake of knowledge and knowing a lot about Jesus or knowing a lot about the Bible. That real discipleship, kind of according to this standard of Ephesians 2, is about taking hold of the work that God has prepared for you. And, and if you're sitting there thinking right now, like, man, I can't. I can't even imagine like what that would be outside of what I'm already doing. And, and, and maybe because you're already doing that. So, so for example, if you're a mom, 
we're not talking about something necessarily that's other than you being a mom. If you're a dad, we're not talking about something that's other than you being a dad. It's not like, oh, let's lay another layer of things to do on top of what you are already doing. No, they're like very natural things in your life where it's like, man, God's put you in this position as a parent to do what? Right? To love these little neighbors who are really unlovable sometimes, right? And who are really inconvenient sometimes. But yet, God has gifted you for this. God has empowered you for this. And, and that's just one microcosm of something that I think is actually much larger. Like, that's just one place where you go, this isn't a broad thing. This is a very specific thing. I'm mom. I'm dad. Here's what that means. I need to what? I need to teach these kids to obey all that Christ has commanded us. I need to teach these kids to love him and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and, and there's like an academic part to that where I'm actually like kind of teaching this to them verbally, helping them remember these Bible verses. But there's an experiential thing as well going on where they're looking to me. I'm demonstrating this for them. So, so what do we say all the time? That our mission is to declare the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel. And that happens, guys, ideally in every quadrant of your life. It's not about adding some new ministry or service project on top of what you already do. It's about taking hold of where you are now and going, man, the Lord has placed me here. The Lord has gifted me. The Lord has given me what I have. I don't always want it. I'm not always grateful for it. I don't always appreciate it. I don't always do great at it. But this is what is. God, your will be done. You have made me. You have shaped me. You have formed me. Use me. And, and, and again, our role in this is to be obedient to him in the midst of all of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and love. We can't say it enough. We don't understand it enough. We can't fathom the immeasurable riches of your kindness, but we give you praise and honor for it today, Father. Help us to, to just catch a vision of this. Help us to see the ways in which um, your calling and the work that you've laid out for us, all like plays into our lives. Help us to step into it, to own it, to go after it, to listen to your spirit, to create space in our lives that's not just filled with what we want, but instead to seek to die to self so that we might do what you want. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I pray, Father, you empower our hearts to mean it and to want it.